When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. DIY and How Studios presents Deeper Digs in Rock, part of the Rock and Roll Archaeology Project. Music, culture, technology, and rock and roll. Now, on with the show. Hello, diggers. Welcome to Deeper Digs in Rock, a production of Rock and Roll Archaeology. Christian Swain here, and I am the Rock and Roll Archaeologist behind the mic in San Francisco, out in the field, all up in your earbuds, and thank you for joining us. In Deeper Digs, we go a little further, dig a little deeper into specific topics that tie in with rock and roll history, the music, the culture, and the technology. It's the companion show to our episodic overview of rock history, the Rock and Roll Archaeology Podcast. If you're not listening to our main podcast, well, please do. This week, we'd like to ask you to just tell a friend, if you're so inclined and want to help out the Rock and Roll Archaeology family of podcasts, all of which can be found at rockandrollarchaeology.com, along with show notes, playlists, social media links, etc., all that good stuff. And most importantly, thank you. So let's get started. Are you a fan? Well, of course you are. First, I'll bet you're a fan of rock and roll archaeology. Well, I certainly hope so. Second, I know you're a fan of music. But now ask, are you a fanatic? You know, fanatical, filled with excessive and single-minded zeal or obsessively concerned with something. Yeah, that's from Webster's. We might use the term superfan, but it's just the same. This is serious devotion I'm talking about. Uh, a love that is spiritual, and love is the best word to connect to the emotion one feels when one is fanatical. Well, today we have someone who is the embodiment of a super fan, a fanatical, a real fan of the prog metal band Rush. Ray Wozniak is a, a very special guy, and God bless him, he is Mr. Rush, if you ask me. He is the unofficial historian for the Rush crowd, and let me tell you, he really should be official. So if Alex, Getty, or Neil are listening, uh, put this guy on the payroll. So sit back and enjoy my interview with Ray while we discuss all things Rush. Monday warrior, mean, mean stride. Today's Tom 
Welcome to Deeper Digs in Rock, Ray Warsniak. How are you today? Christian, peace to you. Thank you so much for having me here. Great to be here. Thanks for making this time available. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, look, uh, I, I've considered uh, the best way to put this interview together, and there is just no other way to do it than to tell the diggers that I, I'm just not going to uh, be unbiased today. I What they don't know is that, yes, I too... I'm a huge Rush fan and have mm-hmm. been since my youth. In fact, I would even say that Rush is probably my band of youth, both positively and negatively. And, I, and I'll get that into that here real quickly, and then we'll get to you. But mm-hmm. when I was 15 years old, ninth grade, um, first year in high school, I uh, was in theater class and um, trying to make some time with this hot theater girl and mm-hmm. uh what you talk about is uh, a lot about music and sure. and so uh, uh she says to me uh, hey have you heard of this band rush and i said uh oh you mean like mahogany rush uh frank marino no 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 this is rush you would really like this band and that was about it for the girl and uh like uh, about six months later um i uh bought into the old cbs records uh nickel and you know get 10 records uh so I'm going through and I you know I'm picking the usuals Aerosmith and Ted Nugent and some of these others that are kind of normal out there and I have a couple of spots left and the two that I picked uh were one um Terrapin Station by the Grateful Dead mm-hmm. uh and the second was 2112 by Rush and it was just the the, the girl's voice came in my head and she said oh she said I'd like this band long story is until about 1985, that was the only album that I still had, uh, was 2112. And I've got to say, between those years of uh, 1976 uh, to about 85, 86, Rush was just echoed through all of my uh, my youth and uh, even my uh, musical career to, to what I consider my detriment. Because, I mean, who could ever be Rush when you get right down to it? So, mm-hmm. so that's my Rush origin story ray mm-hmm. what's yours thank you first of all i want to know if you've had that girl that you referenced on uh, on any of your on any of your shows i'm not sure that she knows the uh, lasting legacy that, <laughs> right. that you're indelibly stamped because of that innocent conversation and is that the case with is that the case with all people who have some degree of fanaticism about their particular favorite artist or, or band or sports team or whomever, that there's some small story that led to this greater something X number of years later. Yeah, For, it's, it's just a little tiny moment, the tiniest of moment, but yet it still resonates to you 50, mm-hmm. almost, I mean, 40 years later. Yeah, there's a, there's a small moment story that annually I have my students, uh, I teach elementary school, and I have my students write a small moment story in which they are indelibly stamped. I, I ask them to try to tap into that, that 
they're indelibly stamped by this one particular moment that somehow had a you know magnificent impression upon them greater than the moment itself so for myself as a kid music was just a part of my household music and sports sports i told you earlier sports had been just crammed down my throat <laughs> all right thankfully i'm, I'm appreciative of it mm. uh, music wasn't crammed down my throat but it just encompassed everything around me it was just kind of music through osmosis so at that time in the early to mid 70s am radio was what was playing all the time and you'd hear linda ronstadt and barry manilow and the eagles and fleetwood mac and so at one point in there in the late 70s all of a sudden i heard a super tramp song on the radio that just on am radio the logical song when breakfast mm, in america yeah. was released in 79 yep. mm -hmm. song had my attention that song got my attention so i went out and bought the seven inch single of the logical song and that was sort of my first immersion into the pool of rock let's say so there i was now swimming in the pool of rock uh at that time my cousin was also in that same pool but he had immersed himself a little bit deeper and he had discovered this band rush after he went through his humongous genesis phase uh, he was now into Rush, and whenever I'd go to his house, he was, you know, trying to cram Rush down my throat, knowing that, well, I was into this band Supertramp. Hey, Ray, if you like Supertramp... You should like this about, one, too, right. Have you heard about Rush? I begrudgingly listened to his sales pitch, but somehow his sales pitch made an impression <laughs> upon my... made upon His pitch made an impression upon my brother, who acted upon it, and went out and bought his... My brother bought his own vinyl copy of Moving Pictures. This is 1981... I was 15 years old at that time. Your listeners can do the math. <laughs> right. So I was 15 years old there in 81. My brother had moving pictures, and it was not a part of my life. He was listening to this band. I was not. Then later in 81, Exit Stage Left was released, and then my brother would call me into his room. Hey, Ray, you got to listen to you know listen to this guy's voice. I'm talking about Getty, of course. Hey, Ray, listen to this song. And he did it enough that I began to be aware of them. But that was about it. I Heard of Rush, I'm aware of them, the end. Well, early the following year, they released the Exit Stage Left concert video, and MTV aired the Exit Stage Left concert video. Ah, I remember that. So I sat down the night to watch it being world premiered on MTV just out of curiosity. Hey, these guys are going to be on television. I've been hearing them come out of my brother's room. Let me sit down and listen. And I sat and watched it, and... As as I like to say, still not with regard to Rush, but with a lot of things. At that point, after that airing, you know, they had my attention. Now that that now I was aware of this band, and they had my attention. So not too long thereafter, I decided I'm going to start taping some of my brother's albums that he had bought. So I taped my own. Come on, weren't those the magic days where you would borrow somebody's vinyl album and make your own taped copy of Fly By Night, make your own taped copy of Crest of Steel. And I had begun to do that enough that I was prepared for the inevitable release of their next album in September of 82 when they released Signals. That was the first record of theirs that I was ready. I was anticipating the release of this record. Right. Mine, mine was Hemisphere, so I, I know what you mean. Yeah. Yes. September of 82, I was 16 years old. This band that had been totally that had taken over my world and totally had my attention, was putting out a new record, and I was just ready for it. Yeah. yeah. So I went to the, my sister drove me to the mall. 
I bought a cassette version of Signals, which of course I still have behind me here. And that's here where I the am. journey begins. And here I am, 35 years later. You, you said at the outset there, you said, oh, Rush was the, you know, band of my youth or my childhood. Rush has been the band of my past, of my present, and I'm sure of my future. It's clearly still after all these years, being a Rush fan is how I define myself. Yeah, you you are you know what what I guess in the uh, modern colloquialism is called a super fan, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, you know you develop that uh, you know uh, over the years. I mean, you now are literally sitting in a, a shrine of uh, of this uh, three piece band from Canada with you know some unusual uh, lyrical content, uh, and mm-hmm. uh, do, do, you know, and that might be the first question. That that, that that I have here is is, is it is it the lyrics that that speak to you? It's it's an it's an amalgamation of everything, mm-hmm. as it is for most people with their bands. It's a combination of, sure, so, you know, some of the lyrical content absolutely hits home with myself, as it does with so many of your listeners. Well, so you, many... you mentioned subdivisions, which mm-hmm. let's face it, the thematic content of that album really mm-hmm. fits nicely in, you know, your personal experience, wouldn't you say, in the early 80s, uh, mm-hmm. you know, uh, you're uh, of that particular age, you know, you're what, 15, 16, uh, at that moment, you live in those subdivisions. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, Neil Parrott, who's the, the primary lyricist for, uh, for Rush after he joined the band, you know, uh, after going from, you know, fantasy and sci-fi and uh, Ayn Randian type mm-hmm. topics, um, you know, began to get more personalized. And that was his background uh, as well, you know, growing up in the suburbs of uh, of these towns. And, you know, by the time we get to the early 80s, it's uh, a defining uh, piece of, a, of Americana, certainly. And uh, and that's the, the big point of that album. So would you agree with that, that that maybe, you know, that particular album, especially even more so than uh, the album previous, Moving Pictures and Tom Sawyer and, and what came with that, this album really does coalesce around the experience of, you know, that particular person of which you demographic uh, are defined by yeah D- does does signals fit that criteria sure although at that point again as a 16 year old was it the lyrics that were sweeping me off my feet was it just the production that oh, was the big synthesizers uh, right, right. Yeah. It, it, at that point it was everything and isn't that an incredible growth as a, as a writer that you know neil did the work for that record in late 81 and early 82 lyrically that is just Seven years after he was writing "By Tour in the Snow Dog," I mean, think, of, think of the lyrics of "By Tour in the Snow Dog," and then you look at something like Tolkien-esque. You know, yes, right. Yes, it's an exhibition in lyrical polarity mm. in in the short span of seven years. That's an incredible growth. That's an incredible testament to his growth as a writer, mm. for sure. Let alone his you know expertise as a drummer. I like your I like your early uh, identification uh, that prefaced that question. Saying something, you addressed me there as a super fan, and in one of your questions that you had sent, that led up to this, I have them here next to me. How does one become a super fan? Yeah, how does one become a super fan? Well, first of all, you must go to the uh, super fan cape store. It's not until you (laughs) do you become a super fan. Once you've got the cape, it doesn't matter what resume. But is it is it do you do you just wake up one day and look around and go, oh oh my god. Uh, I need a cape. There's certain there's certain uh, 
benchmarks that I've set for myself along the way that to me were not unrealistic goals. They were very real things that I had aspired to as a fan that, okay, when, when you're young and you're just starting out, once this rush band had come and swept me off my feet, the first logical thing was, holy cow, I've got to get all their albums. Yeah. You got to get, you got to get the back catalog, right? Number one, let me get their albums. Mm -hmm. Then it was, all right, I've got to see these guys in concert. Then once you see them in concert, then it's, holy cow, that was incredible. I've got to sit front row. So then you sit front row, which I've done 30, 25 times. Who, who knows? I have to look at my beloved list here. Uh, once you sit front row, then it's, holy cow, I've got to meet these guys. So all these little steps that I've achieved along the way, all these steps that I've enjoyed along the way, have gotten me to the to the point where I'm at now where just last week, or excuse me, just within the last couple of weeks, for example, uh, the band re-released A Farewell to Kings in yeah. celebration of the 40th, 40th anniversary, anniversary of that mm -hmm. record with a gorgeous, mega, uber, super deluxe box set. And to see my name in the credits of that re-release, as was the case with the re-release of 2112 last year when 2112 celebrated its 40th anniversary, uh, three, two years before that when the first record was re-released in glorious box set fashion, my name appeared in each of the three of those, and that was just a goal that, even as a super fan, as you identified it, that never even was on my list. That wasn't the next point. I never got to thinking, all right, the next thing I need to do is now I need to do something <laughs> so they get recognized and my name is in the – that never even crossed my mind. Well, so, well, let's talk about that because the reason your name is now appearing on these uh, uh, these albums is because it this is not you know and and maybe the term super fan is incorrect and it's more rush historian. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, I like that. I mean, that's, that's, that's that that probably fits you a little bit better, wouldn't you say? Yeah, that'd be more appropriate to put on a business card than <laughs> identify myself as a as a super fan. Just to self-gloss yourself, I believe, as Jim Rome would call you. Uh, yeah. Jim Rome would identify to gloss yourself as a super fan is Yeah. Well, uh, let's say you're not uh, you're not dressing as Getty Lee and going down to cosplay at the uh, the Rush Con, right? No, good, good God, no. Yeah, but uh, but you are a, a, a bit of a historian, uh, and they have actually come to you to uh, look for 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 things, right? Indeed, yeah, and that all the work I've enjoyed in the last nine years or ten years or so in direct affiliation with the band or someone related to the band, I can I can trace the roots of that to. Uh, I saw the band at a show in in Toronto. Russia's home base, for those who it, don't it, know. Indeed. Uh, and I ran into Sam Dunn, who was just walking around the floor. Uh, at that point, when I ran into Sam, who's a great filmmaker, who you know, Rush fans would know as you know, the guy who did Beyond the Lighted Stage, mm -hmm. Beyond the Lighted Stage. Uh, at that point, when I saw him on the floor prior to the show... I approached him knowing he was the guy that did that movie about about headbangers and about uh, – excuse me for not recalling the name of it immediately. Uh, but he did a movie on heavy metal music and headbangers. Mm -hmm. And there was something about this movie that just completely captivated me, and I loved the story he was telling in this movie about headbangers. 
the movie may be called that. You'll probably want to look that up in Postscript or something. So anyway, I approached him. How you doing? Excuse me. Are you Sam? Yeah. Hi, I'm Ray Wozniak. Nice to meet you. I love the movie that you did. You know, thank you so much. I said, hey, under what circumstances? I asked him, under what circumstances are you here today? Are you just a Rush fan here to see the show? He said, yeah, I'm a fan, but I'm also thinking about doing a movie on the band. Now, at that point, and still, I know that I was the best resource this guy could have. So I made no bones about saying, look, if you're really serious about doing work in the band, I'm the one that you want to have on your side. Let, let me let me help you. Or however it came out, I'd be happy to help you. After that show and in the, in the days thereafter, I contacted him saying, hey, it was nice to meet you the other night, et cetera. He sent my contact information to his secretary who contacted me. I contacted her back via email. And in doing so, when I contacted her back, I attached a copy of my beloved, ridiculous rush list, this list that details my entire collection, which I have here next to me, which now in the end of December of 2017 now stands at 94 absurd pages long, detailing every little thing that I own. So I sent this to her. She must have received this list and in turn sent it to, to Sam or to the other people who were working with him on the movie that became Beyond the Lighted Stage. So not too long thereafter, I got a phone call at home from Martin Popoff, the, art and Mar the author, the excellent author, Martin Popoff, who also was an important part of the making of that movie, mm. of Beyond the Lighted Stage. So Martin called me and, you know, introduced himself. And Which is the, the – and let's let our, our diggers know that it's the definitive movie of the history of Rush. It's one of you, – you can say that's a definitive movie. You can say Time Stand Still was a definitive look at that particular tour. Yeah, Beyond the Light of Sage is yeah. an excellent overarching story of that. Yeah. So Martin contacted me and said, you know, hey, I've got this list here in front of me that's been sent to me. Do you really own all this stuff? <laughs> yeah, I absolutely do. He said, okay, well, you know, let me tell you a little bit about the movie that we're making. We think we really need your help. So Martin came here to my home and spent a – a great day here with myself. Sometime thereafter, I was in Toronto once or twice in Sam's studio, talking with him and the team about some of the work that they had done already. And that led to the next project, which was a, a book that Martin was doing, uh, Rush the Complete Illustrated History. That led to my participation in the re-release of the first album in which I was contacted. Hey, we're going to do a box set re-release celebrating 40 years of the first record. What do you have that you might be able to contribute and help in the packaging of the first record? That led to 2112. That led to Rush album by album, Martin Popoff's most recent book. That led to A Farewell to Kings. And I will say nothing about what lies is coming. Oh, oh. Is there, yeah. is there talk of uh, some more things coming out? I hope so. Wink, mm. wink. Yeah, I mean, I let's, mean, let, let's uh, again, uh, you know, um, uh, the band has uh, indicated that uh, things may be coming to an end. You know, uh, as, as, a, as a musician, I, I understand that uh, the rigors of playing can, can be, uh, you know, um, uh, taxing uh, on, on one's uh, health. And the harder the music, the harder the, the musical content, the, the you know, uh, as I like to say, I, I kind of stick 
stick in that 70s classic rock sort of thing. Um, I think I can do that in, in, into my 70s. But I see the metal players and, uh, and you know, that's, that's, that's an, a, an athletic type event. And let's face it, what Neil does is very athletic. And, um, you know, I think um, I can understand that, uh, you know, his physical skills uh, just due to aging, you know, begin to deteriorate and there's no way to, to continue, uh, you know, uh, and, uh, and I think, um, Alex, uh, there is, um, uh, arthritis issues with him and this, this music is very, very taxing to, to play. And so we may really be seeing the, the end of, of, of Rush. What do you, what do you think of that? Yeah, I'll, I'll talk about a couple points that you made there. First of all, I think the only people who could really testify as to the physical labors that those guys and other musicians have to deal with are their colleagues, are their mm-hmm. musical colleagues. You look at you look at some of the performers who are really so physical. Look at a guy like Jason Newstead, the ex-bass player of Metallica. Just to watch him play all those years, part of me wonders. I, I know that he's no longer in the band, and that as a real soft spot for him his history of metallica is real soft spot in his heart at the same time i think part of me's got to think ah good i'm kind of glad i'm done because good lord that was just so physically taxing on me right you you can't be 70 years old and play like he did metallica you you know can you be 70 years old and get up on stage and play the way that neil did you know i don't know but uh you know are they done Uh, i'll give you a couple little nuggets here okay so the the last two were there in 2015 when the when the tour came to an end and all the talk was going on about you know oh they're done they're done a lot of people were complaining or many people were complaining oh can you believe that they didn't go overseas can you believe that they they didn't show respect to their fans in england well i don't know they were there they were there 38 years you know they were there 38 years before that or they, they've been there so many multiple times if you waited till 40 years to see them, <laughs> part of me thinks yeah. you weren't really a fan to begin with because they started coming over there in 77 you had from 77 up until 2012 so they gave you more than enough of an opportunity for, for you to see them second of all if if they are if they are indeed done, you, you know, I'm surrounded here at home by tangible memories, thousands and thousands of tangible things that surround me that continue to remind me of of Rush, of who they have been in my life, of who they still are in my life. But those, no matter what happens in the future, the memories are still safe. You know, I listened to a great interview with. Mark Brzecki, the great drummer, most notably known for his work with Big Country. And the band Big Country have continued on in recent years, much to the chagrin of some people who have called blasphemy upon Big Country for continuing on post Stuart Adamson's unfortunate passing. Yeah, And Mark recognized that and said, you know, if, if you don't like what we're doing now, that's okay. The memories of of what we have of what we were, the memories are still safe. We're not tainting the memories, and I kind of quite like that as it pertained to myself and Rush. That you know, I have an idea of where they're at now, and I have an idea of where they're going, but their memories are still safe. Everything that they did up to 2015, those haven't changed. 
those memories haven't changed. They're still safe. Oh, so, you know, when you, you, we talked a little bit about Supertramp, we talked, uh, you just mentioned Metallica mm -hmm. and now Big Country. And, you know, mm -hmm. I'm sure there's been other musical acts throughout your life like those that, uh, you know, meant uh, something to you. Yeah. But but not to the extent of Rush. I mean, here in 83 with with uh, subdivisions, you 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 found, you know, the calling. Why Rush? Why why just that particular band and nobody that 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 could supplant it? Um because for myself as we you know, as I said, we began, this was a huge important band to me, but by the time I get to about 1985, um you know, there you know, certainly after uh moving pictures, uh, you know, I I I'd seen every tour from uh from Hemispheres up to Grace Under Pressure. And mm -hmm. certainly by the time Grace Under Pressure, I kind of went, okay, I, you know, I'm done. I've, I've, mm -hmm. I've, I've done my thing with them, and I'm more interested in these other things that are, are surrounding me. But mm -hmm. you didn't do that. You are dedicated and remained mm -hmm. dedicated even to this day. So why, why this particular band? Mm. Oh, there's, there's so many points there to what you brought up. <laughs> I, th I think, first of all, it is t it's, it's testament to my loyalty that that is – Part of my makeup, I'm loyal, obviously, to Rush. I'm, in I'm incredibly loyal to the Buffalo Sabres and the Buffalo Bills. I'm loyal to my wife. I'm loyal to my kids. I'm incredibly loyal to my family. And there is something about my DNA that my loyalty is manifested in so many ways. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, there have been other bands who I have felt like I was having a borderline affair with this other band. <laughs> That's a way to put it. Yeah, they, they would never supplant Rush. Even when I sit down and make, I'm going to answer your question, by the way, of why Rush. Still, when I sit down and make these lists every, every year or every two or every couple of years, I'll sit down and make my current top 20 bands and artists list. Because so many times in conversation with friends, somebody would reference a band and I would say, ah, they wouldn't even make my top 20. Ah, they wouldn't even make my top 50. Until one point I decided, you know what, I think I'm actually going to sit down. I'm going to put together my official list in full detail nobody's ever going to supplant rush as number one they're they're more than just my favorite band why rush to answer your question why rush i don't know Con confucius would say why not <laughs> <laughs> but it's i mean have they constantly just not disappointed you is it, it, it you know they've they've made a, a several musical changes uh, yeah. uh over the decades uh you know I, I distinctly you know i mean let's face it the first album uh with john rutsey on drums is very different than when neil comes in i i would put uh you know caress of steel fly by night caress of steel and uh in 2112 uh kind of as a triptych that works really well and to say you know here is a moment in time of uh, of these artists, uh, whereas uh, Farewell to Kings begins a little bit of a change, and then Hemisphere takes it to the nth degree, and then right. of course they just chuck that all and say, okay, we've gone about as far as we can here, right. and then Permanent Waves comes. Mm -hmm. And let's face it, uh, up until Permanent Waves, um, certainly in this country, uh, Rush got no radio airplay um, right. i mean I, I remember the day hearing uh spirit of the radio uh and uh, on the radio and was like oh my god now everybody's gonna get it now everybody's gonna understand what i've been talking about for the last several years uh you know and then by the time you get to um 
uh, after moving pictures, you know, the, the synthesizer begins to really take over and a lot of people begin mm-hmm. to say, well, you know, looking back at it, it all makes sense to me uh, as a musician because of the, the growth and the change in um, uh, the technology, the fact that, uh, you know, um, uh, the culture had shifted, uh, tastes had shifted, and in some small way, Rush kind of went along with that in, in their own unique way. Um, they they never were ever, you, you could never uh, consider them chasing, um, you know, a hit, uh, mm-hmm. let's say. But you know, but they did uh, kind of migrate from piece to piece. Uh, you know, by the time you get into the 90s, uh, they've gone to a, a completely different direction. And of course, in the latter 90s, you have this disaster that uh, occurred with, with mm-hmm. Neil and, and his uh, uh, personal uh, tragedies. And they stopped touring and stopped mm-hmm. uh, recording uh, and it could have been forever, but uh, I think they come back in what 2002. Is that right? Yeah, June 2002, and they returned to stage. You know, but all those all those changes that you just identified. I'm glad they went through all that. Here I am at age almost 52, and the music that I listen to now at age 52. There's a lot of things I listen to now that. I wouldn't think to have listened to when I was 22 mm-hmm. that my tastes have changed. I'm currently head over heels in love with Imelda May, who's an Irish rockabilly girl that all your listeners, if you're not aware of Imelda May, I-M-E-L-D-A May, look her up. I'm in love with Imelda May and her music is not music that I would have been attracted to 30 years ago or 35 years ago when I was discovering Rush. Mm-hmm. So. My tastes have changed. Well, their music was changed. I'm, I was growing and maturing in what I was listening to. Wouldn't it make sense then that these artists are similarly growing and maturing as well in what they were – the product that they were putting out? So it was easy to, it was easy to stay with them because they were evolving just as my tastes were evolving. They did. They did kind of evolve in a – in a, in a unique way, they mm-hmm. never kind of chased the trends mm-hmm. per se, but they added pieces uh, to their music, which kept them fresh. Uh, Although there's say. something about there's something about where they ended uh, on record that if you listen to a song from their most recent studio album, Clockwork Angels, which was released in 2012, you listen to a song like. Headlong flight from that record. There are el- from that song. There are elements of that song that are akin to Working Man from the first record. Yeah. To sit and watch Rush perform Headlong Flight with this reckless abandon on that tour and the subsequent tours on which Headlong Flight was played. They played that song with the same kind of reckless abandon that you would have seen them play Working Man. Or see them play Working Man. Headlong Flight and Working Man would both appear in the same set. And I just felt the similar kind of reckless abandon as I'm identifying it. You would feel that coming off the stage during the performance of both of those songs. So there is a circuitous route that they went through throughout their career to end up right back where they came from. And in some ways. Well, that that makes sense after a 40-year career to begin Mm -hmm. to look back and mine uh, all of the influences that that you know you were discovering as you went through that to now go yeah. back and kind of put that uh, together. It's not too dissimilar from what David Bowie did with uh, uh, his last couple of albums um, before he passed. So, so here's a question for you: Why sure. isn't there a Rush Museum? And uh, 
with you as the senior curator? <laughs> you could ask uh, ask my friend ask my friend Joe that question. I'm sure Joe's gonna be listening to this. Joe Sisti is gonna be listening to this, and Joe's been cramming that idea down my throat for the last couple of years. You know, Ray. That you know, similarly now, Ray, you'd probably have to move to Toronto. But uh, other than that, I don't I'm, see this being a problem. Yeah, I'm I'm close enough. First of all, geographically, uh, yeah. But there's there's so much you know here that surrounds me, stuff that I have bought over the course of the years. But at the same time, a lot of things are being just generously sent to me. Uh, last year, there was an article in our local paper, the Buffalo News, in which Jeff Myers, uh, the excellent music writer for the Buffalo News, did this whole feature story on myself after having seen me appear in the Time Stand Still documentary. He contacted me not knowing, holy cow, there's this resident Rush expert. Right, right here, here in town, right? Right here in town. So he did this great story on me that appeared in the Buffalo News, and I was very thankful to Jeff for doing what he did. But not too long thereafter, I was contacted by uh, Ed Toth, the drummer for the Doobie Brothers. Hi, Ray. You know, I saw your appearance in in the Rush documentary. I have some things that I just think should be sent to you that belong to you. And when I shared this story with my aforementioned friend, Joe, said, Ray, I'm telling you. I keep telling you, you there has to be some sort of Russian museum. You need to be the, the, the curator of it all. So I'm reciprocating to your question, or I'm replying to your question just by saying, yeah, I've heard that one before. <laughs> <laughs> so there should be one. You'd be willing to take the job. We just need to get the uh, the funding together is what you're yeah. suggesting. So well, well, Willing, yes. They'd be a fool to hire somebody other than myself. I know, you know, not only do I know what surrounds me, I know what doesn't surround me. I know what's still out there. And that's still part of a reason for my continued fanaticism. I mentioned before something about the goals that I had established. At one point, one of my goals was, okay, I know I've got a lot of rush stuff, but I know that there's more out there. I want to get everything that's out there. <laughs> it didn't take me too long to realize well, that's never going to happen. I'm never going to get everything that's out there. But really, for a long time, that did drive me and kind of still does drive me. I still love that thrill of coming home, seeing a package in the mailbox, knowing, oh, okay, this is a good new rush, something that awaits me here today. Yeah. Okay, so let's assume that uh, mm -hmm. the the three uh, the three headed monster gets together and says, you know, or 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 Justin Trudeau. Uh, calls the three head monster and says, yeah. "Okay, hey, look, we 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 just have to we just have to put this together. You, we've secured the funds. We will put the museum, uh, you know, in downtown Toronto. And uh, so, with and I'm going to give a two part question here. What do you have in your collection right now that is mm -hmm. your prized possession that would be the premier object for people to come and see? And then the second part is, what is the piece that you think should be the prime object that people will come to see at this soon-to-be-open museum? Yes, the soon-to-be-open museum. Well, I'll answer the second question first. I think that the artifact that people would come to see would be their first album released on their independent label. Oh, Moon Records, on, right. On Moon Records. Right. And similarly, the first single uh, – that was released as well. But those those two those two artifacts would clearly be one A and one B that people would come to see. Mm -hmm. Of of my own, I mean, my, my prized possessions that surround me here, just like yourself, just like a lot of your listeners. That I'm sure your listeners have 
prizes in their collection that might not be the most monetarily valuable, but for some reason these particular artifacts hold a story. Emotional resonance, right? Yeah, that represents something. Uh, For myself, it's two things. Grace Under Pressure, Japanese tour book. The band played in Japan once in November of 1984, and forever getting a copy of that tour book was number one on my list because I knew the tour book had, I think, 12 more pages. I knew part of the text of the tour book was written in Japanese, and I just had to have one of these. And to finally have gotten it, it took me quite a long time to get one of these Grace Under Pressure Japanese tour books. Now, if I put that up for sale on eBay, it would go for some money, but there's things I have here that would go for a lot more than that. But just knowing how long it took me to get that one, that's one of the two things that I would provide this Rush Museum. Secondly, there's a poster that I have. Uh, currently, my Rush poster collection is at about 100 and uh, I'm looking at my list here. It's at about 140, 145-ish different Rush posters. Mm. One of them, this Rush Presto poster, was sold only at the last three dates that the band played on the Presto Tour out in California, out in your neck of the woods, in June of, late June of 1990. This poster had pictures of the band on tour, taken during the Presto Tour. So obviously this poster wasn't available at early shows on the tour when they were just starting. But that poster took me forever to get, forever to find. It's aesthetically pleasing. I like the look of that band at that part in their career. It's not easy to find. You, you can find it. And again, I have things that are more valuable than that. For instance, an Alex Lifeson handwritten letter from January of 1977. <laughs> I'm sure people would love to see that and love to read that. And it's cool and a real cool thing in my collection. And there's so many small little cool things that I have that I've acquired over the course of the years. But that Presto poster still really does it for me. So I was in London uh, two years ago and went to the British Museum. And in uh, uh, in the British Museum, uh, alongside uh, the works of Shakespeare and mm-hmm. uh, uh, Wellington, uh, the writings of Henry VIII, are five original lyric sheets from the Beatles. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So my question is, the Beatles obviously are, you know, the atomic blast of the rock and roll age. Uh, there are those that come before it that lead up to uh, to them, and, and there are those that, that come after. But I've never heard of them, but continue. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Uh, so... Uh, with Rush, uh, the listeners, that was a joke. Yes, you yes, yes, yes. Uh, with Rush, mm-hmm. do you think they actually deserve this devotion in in general, and then and then you in specific? Yeah, absolutely. I, I, they deserve the specific. This... It is. I mean, you know, as as we've gone through this interview, uh, it's very obvious. I mean, that you you appear to have the same love and passion that you probably did. Um, that. After that first concert, when yeah. it all when it all kind of mm-hmm. all the pieces of the puzzle came together, yeah. and you went, "Oh my God, mm-hmm. these guys speak to me like nobody has spoke to me before." But but to the general public, did, you know, the Beatles are, are obviously for historical reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, you yeah. know, uh, you know, are you know these lyric sheets are in the British Museum. You know, mm-hmm. do you think Rush? Be. Do you think Rush fits that bill? Are they are they there? Are they close? 
does does Rush deserve this kind of adulation? And yeah, well, this, this singular devotion, not not just from you, because there are you know people up there, and you know uh, you know hey, I I was I was one, but I was one when I was you know, 17, 18 mm -hmm. years old, um, mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, where, you know, this was the only band. There's nobody can compete. Nobody can come close to, to, to this. Uh, and there are still people, you know, and it's obvious in the, in the two movies we've, uh, we've mentioned today, uh, beyond the lighted stage and time stand still that, mm -hmm. you know, these people exist and they're everywhere. Yeah, indeed. Well, I'll, I'll say this, you mentioned something at the, you know, at the beginning about, you know, being their biggest fan, I, I, I'm not their biggest fan. I'm only five foot six. So I know there's people who are a lot bigger than I am. Second of all, uh, I'll get to your question about the, you know, is this adulation deserved? I know that, I know that what I do is, it's not unique. I know that, I know that I'm not alone. Maybe, maybe what I've done. Maybe to in, the extent. Yeah. I don't think you could take it much farther than what I've taken it tangibly but I know that I'm not alone. And for all these years, you know, there, there was another point uh, historically. In 1985, I, I placed an ad in a magazine. At, at that point, Russia just completely swept me off my feet, and I just couldn't get enough. The music almost wasn't enough for me. I needed more. That's why I started surrounding myself with all this nonsense that surrounded me and still surrounds and, me. And still does today, yes. Correct. So I placed an ad in a magazine asking for serious Rush fans to write to me, wondering, you know, is there anybody else out there who has this passion? Well, good Lord, the response to that ad was overwhelming. I, I couldn't believe just the sheer volume of mail that was coming in. And the fact that I was meeting all these people who were definitive pen pals, who, who became definitive pen pals, had the same sort of adulation for this band and their music that I did, and were doing the same kind of things that I did. Now, some of these people ended up becoming just legitimate, beautiful, dear friends that here I am now in 2017, 32 years after placing that ad, I now consider these people some of my, you know, just closest, closest friends. Mm -hmm. So I know that what the band has done for me, I know that I'm not alone. I've seen this same behavior in hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people, both documented on film and in the course of my career following the band, I know the sort of influence that they've had on on people. So do they deserve the adulation? Who, who, who better than them? Yes, unequivocally, yes. I've chosen, I've chosen them, but I, I also understand, I also understand this behavior that my complete loyalty to Rush I don't even think that's unique. I've often I've often wanted, you know, people such as yourself, Christian, to kind of get together some sort of a roundtable discussion in which, okay, we've got Ray Wozniak here. He's a mega Rush fan. And here's Joe Schmo who pledges his allegiance to you too. And here's this character who kind of have all these people get together. And I don't think my story would be that unique. I, I think it's testament to my loyalty, but I know that I know that I'm not alone. Rush Rush deserves it. They've they've given me over the course of their career nothing but positive energy. They've given me education. They've given me friendship. They've given me great experiences. They've allowed me to see parts of 
the continent that I probably would not have otherwise seen. Why else would I be sitting in Portland, Oregon, or in Seattle, Washington, or in Albuquerque, New Mexico, or in Red Rocks in Colorado, were it not for them? So they've given me so much positive energy, but I know the case exists for not only many other Rush fans, but for other music fans in general, that I think my behavior is is not singular. Well, you're 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 proving the case of the rock and roll archaeology project right here. So we we thank you for that. So I was just reading the script that you provided for me. That's all. <laughs> so okay. So obviously, it's affected your life positively. Mm-hmm. But has it affected your life at all? I mean, forty years, Ray. Mm-hmm. Has it mm-hmm. affected your life negatively at all? I'll I'll cite. I'll say two negatives. Number one has to be clearly financial. <laughs> right, 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 right. Yes. I'm not, I'm not in any kind of financial trouble at all in 2017. I've always been real responsible in that regard. But one of the friends, my beloved friend, Monica, Monica Zimmerman uh, from Seattle, now in California, out there in your neck of the woods, uh, she and I have often spoke many times in years gone by about you know, God, I, w- I would really like to know how much money I've actually spent under the umbrella topic of Rush. That all those years ago, when I mentioned having placed this ad uh, in the magazine, good Lord, the amount of money I was spending on postage was just outrageous. Uh-huh. For so many years, it was outrageous. Never mind the travel and the hotels and the concert tickets and the food and the memorabilia and all that. There was so much of that that I kind of would like to know, but at the same time, I don't think I want to know how much money I've spent. And secondly, there was one ex-girlfriend – there was one girlfriend in my life who became my ex-girlfriend because she questioned my loyalty. (laughs) She didn't question my loyalty to her. I don't think that's a very unique uh, situation when it comes specifically to Rush. Uh, Let's face it. Not exactly a girl ban uh, when when you think about it. Although that's changed quite a bit as the years have come on. Uh, I I, I mean, you know, I remember going to, you know, small venues and seeing them. And it was just nothing, nothing but guys. You know, I I remember uh, sitting up uh, and seeing the glow sticks and people, you know, mimicking every move that Neil would would make, which I, I've never seen before or since. Let me tell you that that that's a really unique situation. But mm-hmm. but um, but yeah, I, I mean, uh, hey, look, uh, any fandom requires. A certain level of sacrifice, and uh, that doesn't sound too bad uh, mm-hmm. compared to compared to most. So, but, but again, I under I under I understand it. I understand people who are hopping on a plane because you're a car buff, and there's a car show that's happening on the other side of the country, and you just have to be there. Yeah. Or Green Bay Packers season ticket holders who are putting their season tickets in the will to ensure that their great-grandchildren will inevitably inherit these Green Bay Packers season tickets because they haven't missed a game in 58 years. I get it. I, I feel bad for people who, after all their years of young adulthood and into adulthood, didn't find some kind of passion. I'm I'm lucky that I found Rush at the age that I did Rush and sports as well. I'm I'm lucky that I found this relationship with Rush that X number of years later I'm still ridiculously passionate about. And I feel bad for people who have gotten to my age who never found a real passion. So I I understand the passion in in, in yourself, Christian. I understand the passion in 
in people because of how I've lived my life as a definitively passionate, loyal person, in my case, towards Rush. Mm. So let's talk a little bit about them here before we uh, have to end this. You know, in 2013, they, they, they finally uh, were allowed into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And as uh, is pointed out in the, in the movie, and, and I, I remember uh, watching it. Um, you know, uh, when it uh, when it was aired uh, originally, when when Jan Warner uh, mentions them at the very beginning of the show, the roar of the crowd is mm-hmm. unlike pretty much any other band that had ever been mentioned as an inductee into mm-hmm. the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. But is is that a is that a temporary? thing is is that a a win for the common man that um uh that really helped push them into uh the hall they they wouldn't have gotten there uh had it just been up to uh the uh, the hall members and uh and the usual voters it was the public that demanded it you know but you know 500 years from now it, in the future are people gonna remember rush they, as we've talked about the beatles they, they will definitely remember the beatles they, they're, they're, they're going to be like mozart but does, does rush fit in that is is their legacy that strong that it will survive the test of long time well first of all yes do, do, do they deserve it all yes that that induction into the rock and roll hall of fame was just the biggest thank you that they could have been given everybody knew that they were deserving of it that was just one big thing. There's so many times I've been with each of the three members of the band on multiple occasions, and hopefully every single time I found myself with them, I remember to thank them for all the positive energy that they have given me. And, and I'm sure that's the case with anybody else who's found themselves in their company. I'm sure they've thanked them as well. But that Rock and Roll Hall of Fame was just one big, huge public thank you to this band who've only given just so much good to their fans. Now, that in and of itself, you know, to their fans, that is part of their legacy that can never be tarnished. Their their legacy will be carried on by their incredibly loyal fan base. You know, forever. Yeah, but that that fan base can't survive. Uh, they're not going to tour much, if if at all, anymore. They will put out uh, rare, if any, records moving forward now. I'm asking the question, you know, Hundred years can from survive. now, five hundred years from now. Yeah, I mean, I think it can survive. How is it that the Beatles, who you know haven't recorded since nineteen sixty nine, they haven't recorded in forty nine years? How has their music survived? Well, those people who are passionate about the Beatles pass down their passion to their children. New generations have have picked up on the Beatles, and so my question is, will new generations do that with Rush? So I might ask, sure, do your kids are they as big a Rush fans as you? <laughs> well, are they as big a Rush fans as me? No, it would be a little odd if they were. Uh, <laughs> God has blessed me with three great kids, all of whom have been surrounded by music in the course of their life. And music is now a part of their life, just as music became a part of my life, thanks to the what my dad was doing at home. My son has found all the good in Rush as well, and Rush is you know, his number one favorite band, not because I was cramming it down the throat. I think it was just kind of through osmosis. He almost couldn't get away from it. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, all these, all the Rush shows that I go to, there's so many families that you'll see there now, parents with their children. So I know already that the legacy is being passed down to the next generation of fans. Is their legacy set? Yes, because it's their incredibly loyal fan base who would refuse to let it, refuse to let it die. They need to honor 
the legacy that the band they need to honor the work that the band has done and continue to pass it down for generations to come so i still want to know about this beatles band you keep referencing (laughs) (laughs) so basically did they set themselves up for the future in the story of 2112 are they the music that the protagonist finds in the story Mm, well, well, we'll we'll find out in uh, how, how many years is that? In uh, ni- ninety-five years, when they're going out on tour in support of the hundred and fortieth anniversary of the making of Twenty One Twelve, and they recreate that album on stage, then all will be revealed. All will time. be revealed. Yes. Ray Warzniak, thanks so much for being with us today on Deeper Digs in Rock. It's been a, a real pleasure. Mm-hmm. Christian and you, thank you again so much for inviting me. Uh, I'm honored to have even been asked in the first place my continued best wishes and success and happiness to yourself with all of your work. Thank you so much for allowing me to speak on behalf of some of the Rush fan base. Mr. Ray Warzniak, ladies and gentlemen, a hero from the subdivisions of Buffalo. What a great time. He is a rock and roll archaeologist whose doctoral dissertation is clearly in Rush studies. Please look to the band's 40th anniversary re-release of A Farewell to Kings 2112 and Rush to catch Ray's liner notes. Let me tell you, as a tribe, Rush fans are just as obsessive as the Grateful Dead or Elvis or, dare I say, maybe Beliebers, though uh, definitely a little more cerebral. Now, our Friday nights are probably filled more with gaming than, say, any long, strange trips or rock in the jailhouse. Hey, diggers, thanks for stopping by and come back real soon. And please tell a friend. I'm Christian Swain, and this has been Deeper Digs in Rock, a production of Rock and Roll Archaeology. Thank you again for listening, and keep up the rockin'. Diggers, Christian Swain here with a short pause for a great cause. We believe music education for young people is an investment in a better future for all of us. If you listen to our podcasts, chances are you agree. Little Kids Rock has transformed the lives of more than 650,000 public school students by bringing music education into their schools. Little Kids Rock trains teachers in underfunded schools to teach kids the music they love. From the Beatles to Bruno Mars, Led Zeppelin to Lady Gaga, Chuck Berry to Chance the Rapper. 
Little Kids Rock has become a national movement to restore, expand, and innovate music education in public schools across America. Visit littlekidsrock.org and learn more about how you can help put music where it belongs, in our schools. Thank you, and let's keep up the rockin' right into the next generation. Deeper Digs in Rock, produced and hosted by Christian Swain. All sound design and incidental music by Busy Signal Studios. All quotes performed by actors unless noted. Playlists can be found at iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. Please purchase these great and important tracks. All songs, clips, and references can be found on our show notes. Please visit rnrap.com for more information. Looking to expand or move your company? Look no further than Ohio. With a talented workforce for in-demand industries like tech, healthcare, engineering, manufacturing, and more, you can staff up and scale for growth. Ohio's central location and reliable infrastructure will help you impress your customers, while Ohio's affordable cost of living and quality of life will excite your employees. Why survive somewhere else when your business can thrive in Ohio? Visit successinohio.com today. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points. 